0: Top of the morning Dan and Amy anticipated uh, 500,000 jobs created in September and uh, the number disappointing 194,000 jobs created according to the Department of Labor that's the report out this morning unemployment rate drops to 4.8% but we're still a 22% down from the number of jobs we had pre pandemic. And so uh, the reaction to that from our next guest, but before we get his reaction to that jobs report, the uh, debt ceiling, the latest debt ceiling theater and uh, this uh, self-inflicted crisis is the watch phrase of the political class. Self-inflicted crisis averted because McConnell caved and helped cobble together a structured vote to Bump up the debt ceiling for another few months. Uh, Janet Yellen, Captain Kangaroo impersonator, was on all week saying essentially this is a crisis and a self-inflicted one if we were to default. And uh, well, you know, my position is we should just get rid of this debt ceiling business altogether because why even go through the pantomime of suggesting that anything should restrain our spending? We don't want our spending and borrowing restrained. We don't want to be forced to live within our means. So why even go through this? Because nobody else does either.
1: Um, I I think it's become increasingly damaging to America to have a debt ceiling. It's led to a series of politically dangerous um, conflicts that have um, caused Americans and uh, global, global markets to question whether or not America is serious about paying its bills. It's flirting with a self-inflicted crisis.
0: Mm. Uh, do you think that uh, the uh, global community might find the $30 trillion in debt and $100 plus trillion plus in unfunded liabilities an indication that America may not be serious about paying its debts as well? Uh, that question rarely contemplated by folks like janet yellen for more on the topic and uh, the jobs report as well please be joined again by james perry he's the senior vice president and partner at arbor research jim thanks for joining us appreciate it
2: good morning dan thank you very much
0: what about this uh, debt ceiling business should we do we should we just agree with jamie diamond and janet yellen and let's just call the whole thing off already
2: no, yeah, I think it's nonsense. I mean, you know, the fact is it's it's, it's debt, and uh, debt has to be repaid. And if they don't want to call it debt and they want to call it credit, that's a whole other story, and it becomes a political deal. But right now, it's, I guess, Janet Yellen is correct, or you are, by saying that you know nobody else does it either. The Japanese have been doing this, and their debt-to-GDP ratios are in the 350% range. Ours is sort of, you know, 138 or something percent.
0: So, right, but, but the, the the point of the debt ceiling is to, is I mean, you know, theoretically, it doesn't actually work in practice, but the point is to put some handcuffs so we don't get to Japanese levels right. so that we are forced to live within our means. But, my, my you know, so I'm agreeing with Janet and Jamie Dimon for different reasons. I just think there's nobody interested in living within our means, so, you know, why go through this Kabuki theater?
2: Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's gotten uh, surreal, to, to be honest.
0: Uh, So, all right, let's get to the jobs number, Uh, 194,000 jobs, uh, you know, well below the ADP estimate. What's an economist estimates? What what are we to make of the importance of that number?
2: Right. Well, um, in August, the number was revised to 366, and we come in today at 194, so that's a significant deceleration. Um, But prior to that, you know, the June number was 850,000. And the July number was 934,000 new jobs. So the big question to everybody's mind was, was, was August a blip and are we going to recover so that we can hope for? And today's uh, information, today's data says that this is not a blip. Uh, this is a formidable change in the labor force. This is a structural change in the labor force. It's a transformational change. And I think that um, the, the message really is, The U.S. economy is not going to return to normal anytime soon, and it won't look the same as it did before the pandemic.
1: Well, Will it ever rebound? Or you're saying that this is just a new way of doing business? Well,
2: I don't know if it's a new way of doing business. I think it's a new way of the way people live their lives. I mean, you know, the trouble is that the pandemic was a tremendous disruption. Um, It's affected every aspect of... How and where people work, and where they live, and what activities they engage in, and the fact is that they don't really want to go back to work. I think that the phrase that people use is the new absenteeism. You know.
1: And we had President Biden in town. I just want you want to run this by you, talking about our economy and vaccinations, how they're tied together.
0: The unvaccinated also put our economy at risk because people are reluctant to go out. Think about this. Even in places where there is no restriction on going to restaurants and gyms and movie theaters, people are not going. And anywhere near the numbers because they're worried they're going to get sick. I've tried everything in my power to get people vaccinated.
1: What are your thoughts on that?
2: Um, I don't know. I try not to listen to them. It's just a script. <laughs> yeah. um, it's political. I don't know. What I would say is that, you know, I'm looking at this non farm payroll number and. Uh, I broke it down in a lot of different varieties. But the fact is that the number one loss of jobs in this last month in September was 123,000 government employees, right? So the government uh, employees, and these are, to be honest with you, they're mainly teachers, right? They do not want to go back to work. And whether they are using the pandemic and, uh, as a, as a, as a fear excuse, as uh, maybe they just don't want to do it. I don't, I don't know what it is, but they're not going to go back to work. And, and, and and parents really don't want their kids going to school either. Um, I think with the stay at home, Dan, we talked about this the last time I was on there was a poll in the New York times that pulled New York city households with children. And 25% of them said they're going to homeschool their kids. So, uh, if you add that on top of the shortage of daycare workers, you know, parents are going to stay home. Employment at daycare centers is still 20% below pre-pandemic level. You can't drop your kids off, right? So I think this is a whole new deal, and it's going to go on for a while.
0: Yeah, and it's it's interesting, though, because it doesn't necessarily implicate um, corporate profitability. Um, you could p- perhaps be finding corporations doing more with fewer, being more profitable with fewer, and then this um, is, as you say, sort of a transition, at least in some sectors, in terms of the way business is conducted. So it, it seemed unclear to me whether this signals a slowing down of the recovery in terms of GDP growth. Um, w- w- what's your sense of what this is or isn't signaling on that score?
2: I think you're absolutely right Dan. I mean corporate profitability really is under pressure here between you know having to pay higher prices for uh raw materials and and goods that go into the manufacturing of their product or for higher labor uh the fact is that you know profit margins are coming down and I think that you're going to start getting uh corporate profitability reports or any per share reports here in the next week or two or three And the big fear is that, you know, margins are being squeezed and companies, especially in services, really can't raise prices without losing market share because you've got these big cap titans out there that can come in and deliver what you're doing for cheaper um, because they've got the platforms to do it. So I'm a little bit worried about uh, corporate profitability. And I would say that, you know, this whole thing dovetails into, as we talked about. The primary economic concern involves the rising of the cost of money and how much of it the Fed is willing to provide the post-pandemic recovery. And the fact is, we just don't know how strong the recovery is right now. We had a huge hit in 2020, huge recovery in 2021, and now it looks like economic activity is going to be Shorter, smaller, weaker than where we were pre-pandemic. And I'm talking about five to ten million jobs short with an output gap in GDP of at least one or two percent.
0: Well, and then and then against that backdrop, if that's what comes to pass and that's sustained, you have both the Fed and the European Central Bank moving in the direction of tapering, uh, you getting out of the the business of uh, of essentially propping up the markets. So so then are we looking at like a Q1, Q2 that uh, could raise the specter of the, the carterism stagflation?
2: That's a good question. Timing's really tricky. I will say this. My biggest problem is that I don't embrace the narrative that the Fed can begin to taper when the economy is slowing. And the Fed's forecast for GDP and inflation by Q1 next year is substantially lower than it is now. GDP, they're talking about 25 or 3%. And inflation, they're talking about 2% in six to nine months. So how do you raise rates when they know that the economy is going to slow down? I think Powell was kind of nudged into talking about transitory versus permanent price increases, especially with this energy crisis that's going on in China and Europe. But I'm not sure he really believes it. Every trader on the planet recognizes that prices are going up, every trader. But investors are looking past all of this stuff and saying, you know, things like used car prices, are they really gonna go up 50% again next year? You know, I don't think so. Are semiconductors, Prices really going to go up 30% or 40% again next year? I don't think so. So investors look at things differently than traders, and all the trader talk on, you hear on TV is what makes the news. But investors are looking past this and thinking that things are going to slow down a little bit. So, Well,
0: uh, so view. so so a contraindicator this week, you know, because uh, in addition to supply of labor being an issue, supply of goods is a big issue. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the, all the talk uh, last week about the bottleneck of, cargo ships in long beach but we saw the um, the 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 price of a 40 foot shipping container come down dramatically does that indicate that some right. supply chain issues are being worked out and that uh, goods are are uh, flowing more freely
2: i think so i mean you know, the biggest problem i would say the weakest link in the supply chain is humans right i mean there's this thing called the bullwhip effect, and what that means basically is, you know, somebody puts in one large order unexpectedly, and he sets off a wave of panic buying and, and inventory building, and the effects multiply along the supply chain uh, all the way back to the factory, and uh, that has happened, and, you know, container ships cost 1500 bucks to rent, you know, two years ago, and they went up to 15000 and all of a sudden, that 15,000 number is down to eight, right? Um, so I, I think, and you know, you look at a lot of commodities that are really sort of indicators of economic kind of growth, things like lumber and copper. You know, they, they went up and they're down as much as they went up, and it took about four months to do it. And the only reason steel and aluminum aren't doing that is because the Chinese don't have enough energy to make the stuff, right? So there's a shortage. But everything else is going down, except oil, and you know, I oil and energy, coal and oil. I don't understand. I think it's. I think people are going to need it a lot longer through the winter, and that's a problem. So I just don't know. I think it's a slowdown story rather
0: than an inflation story. Slowdown story rather than inflation story. Okay. He is Jim Perry, senior vice president and partner at Arbor Research. Jim, thanks as always. Appreciate it.
2: Thanks, Dan. Pleasure to be here.
1: Thank you. And he joined us on our Turnkey Pro Answer Line.
2: There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer.
0: Signature Bank is Chicago's fastest-growing, independently-owned business bank. It's a bank where relationships still matter. Signature Bank knows your name and your story. I'm Dan Proft, and I know this because Signature Bank is my business bank.
2: Hi, I'm Rick Blavalone, second-generation owner and CEO of Marketing Innovators and a customer of Signature Bank. Our family-run company was founded on the belief that connecting to people on a human level is the best way to build a great business. And when we were looking for a new bank, we didn't have to look far. We shared an office building with Signature Bank in Rosemont and quickly saw that they were truly locally owned and operated. That's why we partnered with Signature. And that relationship makes every business decision better and every communication clearer. Marketing Innovators looks forward to a long-lasting relationship with Signature Bank.
0: Signature Bank is looking for their next success story. To learn more about turning your business vision into reality, visit SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank, helping local businesses succeed. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.
1: All right, the founder and creator of MyPillow, Michael Lindell, has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of their life, and he didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. He created the Giza dream bed sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even.